calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Take 15 Podcast. I'm Lauren, and this week we have a really interesting show for you. It's all about entrepreneurship in the asset management space. If you've ever wondered what it might be like to go independent or whether you've got what it takes, this episode is for you. But first, a bit of background to set the scene for the conversation. As many of you know, the investment industry is evolving rapidly. There is active consolidation among managers, banks and insurance companies are divesting ownership stakes, and private equity is an active player. These trends have encouraged some portfolio managers to break away and go independent. So what are the compelling attributes of an independent boutique money management model? What's it like to set up your own shop? And what do you need to be thinking about to make your own money management business successful? To help answer these questions, my colleague Bob Stammer sat down with David Littleton and Alexander Morris. They are the co-founders of FM Acceleration, which helps portfolio managers create boutique firms. Their conversation covers some of the considerations for going independent, the skills and traits that are needed, and the advantages of being a boutique. So let's get to it. Please enjoy this week's episode with Bob, David, and Alexander. So David Littleton and Alex Morris, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Bob. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. So your firm, FM Acceleration, is known for helping investment professionals start boutique asset management firms. And before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of that, I was really wondering if we could discuss the skill sets that people need to have in order to be successful in going independent and some of the things they should consider before deciding to do so. Sure. Well, we can, we can dive into that one. You know, first off, and we, we probably have you know, hundreds of these conversations every year with different managers, different portfolio managers considering uh, doing something more independent. Um, so we meet a lot of folks and, and and we do try to figure out what are the common characteristics that would make somebody a good candidate for that. Um, I'll start, and Alex, you can jump in, but, uh, you know, first off, you got to be good at your job. You got to be a talented stock or securities picker, good at asset management, but uh, a lot of people are that, but they also uh, aren't necessarily ready to be business leaders. So really that combination of, you know, fundamentally good at asset management, but looking to actually lead a business. Um, and in my mind, that means, you know, excited about starting and managing and growing a business. Um, in addition to uh, being a portfolio manager, uh, tough things to balance both, you know, to do to do both at the same time, frankly, is, is nearly impossible. And that's really where we come in. Um, but uh, I think in general, if you, ha you need to have a tolerance for risk because um, you're no longer just an employee, you're not guaranteed anything, uh, you're building a business with us as your partners. Um, so I'd say so. The, those are the sort of the, the primary characteristics I look for, more of an entrepreneurial spirit and a desire to do more than, than create and manage a great product, but actually run and grow a business. Yeah, echoing what, what Dave said, we've seen that there's no one size fits all model 
but the, the sort of key characteristic is sense of purpose. You need to want to do this. This isn't the type of job you get to come in at 10 and leave at 4 and trade just the days you want to trade. This is one of those businesses that you're going to get dirt on your fingernails with us, and we're here to help you, and we've done this before, so we have some experience and knowledge to share. But it is not something to just run away from because you're displeased that you can't get something that you were hoping to get or think that you know someone else was treated more fairly than, than you were. This is an effort that will require a fair bit of time, energy, skill, and commitment. But once you're willing to make that commitment, the rest of it can relatively nicely fall into place. So let's say we have someone that has good business acumen, they have good soft skills, um, and they want to go independent. What's the steps? What's the natural steps that they would need to go through to, to start a, a new boutique firm? Do you want to start with the list? I'll, I'll sure. jump in. I think the first thing is, as Dave kind of pointed out, you need to have a thorough and complete understanding of the business that you operate today. Even though you may not fully see everything, it's good to understand the process that you're in, the things that you like and don't like, and the things that you absolutely need to continue to operate your strategy. So that's a combination of the research that you use and what you really use, not what you just like to read, but what's driving actual decision making. That's how those decisions are being made amongst you and your peers. And if other peers are key decision makers, they should come along with you on that ride. Otherwise, your track record becomes suspect or uh, may not be portable or you may not demonstrate the same alpha over the long run. Uh, and then ultimately, I think you need to have that sense of, here are my clientele, here's my customer base, I know who will come with me, I know what I need to serve to them, and I can continue to do that if I have the following things. And we don't expect everyone to have an exhaustive list of that, that's our jobs, but they do need some sense of that inventory of what's it gonna take to do this beyond just the risk um, appetite to one day walk in and say, I'm going to start a new chapter in my life. Yeah. And I, and I would say, you know, you can distill it down to a checklist. Every case is different, but some of the, some of the, um, some items are just always going to be there on that list. You've got to create a new legal entity. You've got to register it. Um, you've got to, you know, register the brand name and make sure you can get the, uh, the domain for a, a website. Uh, you've got to take all the steps required to secure your track record, which includes getting a hold of, you know, legal possession and, and physical possession of the of the, the records, um, the data behind your track record. You've got to have a plan to prevent an interruption of the track record as you get as you get fired up. Um, you need to, as Alex said, identify all the systems and other things that you're relying upon. You may not even know you're relying upon because you sort of take it for granted when you come into into your your firm to work every day. But we help you figure out what those systems are and make sure we have a plan in place to replicate everything that's essential. Um, you'll want to do a budgeting exercise, you know, uh, make sure that the economics are going to work from day one. You've got to register with the SEC or, or a state uh, agency um, as an investment advisor. Um, you've got to you know, make sure you've secured the, the team of support that you require. Um, and then start thinking about communicating with your clients because you want uh, as many of them and, and their assets to follow you onto your into your new venture as possible. So that's just sort of a quick, uh, you know, a sampling of all the things you need to consider. If we, if we really open up the books, it'd probably be uh, a list twice as long, but I think you get the idea. Yeah, and, and I don't want to scare folks off of, oh my God, here's a list of 100 things. These are things that we naturally start to fill out together as we yeah. have conversation. Well, it is scary, but that's our job. That's right. To help them out, right? <laughs> and we don't expect folks to be able to sit down in an afternoon and know all of this. Uh, we come up with 
you know, uh, through conversation, we can fill out the rubric. We're pretty good at ferreting out the questions that some things don't quite align and make sense to know how to line them up before you make that leap. Uh, and then ultimately, so I think the final step, aside from communicating to your clients, is communicating to where you're currently working with today. You know, we've learned from talking to hundreds, now probably thousands of folks, that a disgruntled PM or partner is rarely a secret, and it's never a good thing for the business, for the investors, for the portfolio manager, him or herself. And the the real art form is how do you get enough of this in place to feel confident to go in and have that conversation, to negotiate for your track record, to negotiate for your clients, and to make a good party? Because this is a really small industry, and it doesn't take long for trouble to find you if you create it on your way out of your former uh, employment. Well, you're, you're uh, kind of going into one of my other questions I was going to ask you is because you are known for kind of these lift out where you are taking a portfolio management team out of a larger asset manager to create a new boutique firm. So what are the characteristics that you're looking for? You just covered some of them, but you're looking for to make an investment and to support that new team and firm. So it starts with the, you know, the human side of it, um, first and foremost, you know, it has, there has to be a chemistry between our firm and you know, Alex and I as the founders, but, the, but other members of our firm and the, the, the portfolio manager or small team that we're considering lifting out. Um, we have to have a, a, a consistent vision for the business that we're going to create together. And I said earlier, but, you know, there has to be some sort of risk appetite when we, one of the red flags that we look for when we speak to somebody who's considering independence and, and, and if most of that conversation focuses on guarantees or, or, you know, minimum salaries and that sort of thing, you know, that just tells us, you know, they, they could be great at their jobs and, and, and good people in general, but they're probably not ready to take the, uh, the, the slightly risky ride of creating a new firm. Um, so having that sort of entrepreneurial uh, gene um, is, is an important thing that we look for. Um, and, and high integrity and obviously great performance that, that will continue to attract investors once the, 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 the PM uh, becomes independent. Yeah, I think the other item sort of coming from all of that naturally is understanding what a boutique really is, right? So many folks try to define boutique by pure AUM size or revenue, and it's really, we think much more nuanced than that. Boutique is, in our mind, a relentless commitment to your strategy, to continuing generating the return and the alphas, the alpha that you've generated to date, but also a commitment to service and to client service above and beyond, which you might get from a, a big box type product. Uh, and then separately that, although we do much of the heavy lifting, it is important um, and incumbent upon all of our business partners to understand the business that we're doing. We can't improve our product and our, our partnership if the, our partners don't know what they need from us and how well we're serving them. Uh, and when it's important to have give and take and and how to be a good partner, generally speaking. Uh, and that's something that comes with time, we've discovered, but deep down, some folks get it right away. And those partnerships tend to start off on the right foot and head down the right direction. And others will take some time to get it. What Dave and I spend most of our time trying to do is avoid the folks who, who don't or won't get that concept. And that's not to say that we're turning down strategies we think are no good, or that's a statement of the person. For this to work, we need to make sure or have a pretty high level of confidence that both we and the team that's being lifted out together can be successful in the first six to 12 months. Because that's the, the sort of golden time and magic moment for all of this to happen. Anything that takes three to five years to, to start is effectively the same as starting over. 
And that's tough and tricky for a lot of reasons that we can get into. Um, and by the same token, if it um, if we can't get this working in the first few months, inevitably there will be client or other attrition that makes it much harder to recover and, and to find your footing again. Yeah, how difficult is the due diligence process? Because I gotta think that it's different than a traditional asset management firm. You got people with esoteric assets or strategies that may be hard to get your hands around. It can Harder, be. Anyway. Most of the folks on the platform today, the, the five affiliates that we were working with are in fairly traditional, if not totally traditional asset classes. And that was a byproduct of the teams that were ready to move as well as market demand. Um, but as you, as we expand the roster, more esoteric items come on. Dave and I have both have experience in the alternative space, so we have some experience in doing that. But to some extent, unlike a traditional research uh, analyst or at a consultancy or at an RIA, it's not our goal to pick the top one percentile fund or manager all the time. You know, we're looking for folks who can hit in the top quartile, top half regularly, and then build a business that has a product that is saleable, that has reasonable uh, opportunity to be in demand across cycles, uh, and then who can run a business with us um, and help grow that, which is you know, a combination of that grit um, some internal salesmanship uh, to be able to sell the product. And more importantly, and, and perhaps the, the dirty secret of all of this is that performance is, is great, but if you can't explain the strategy to the folks who are going to use it, you have no chance of garnering, garnering assets. And that's what we call narrative alpha. And part of where I think we've invested time and energy is how do we tell that story about not just the PM and, and their journey into this boutique, but rather the strategy, how it fits in a portfolio, how it sits in the boutique model with the service component we provide, with the alpha it generates, why it's different than just either a passive strategy or than some of the more um, benchmark hugging active strategies, and really try to differentiate the product. Because ultimately, we're looking for the right people with the right track record, but that needs to be continued. And that's a mentality, that's a personality trait more so than it is any one skill set. What I was really interested in finding out is I know you are true believers in the advantages of boutique firms, especially in the post-COVID era. So I was wondering what characteristics make boutiques better or available to create better investment outcomes? You know, so everybody's got a slightly different uh, definition of boutique, although I think we all kind of know them when we see them. You know, in general, a little smaller size, uh, and some people would say under 10 billion, some people would say under a billion, but you know, not, not a behemoth asset manager, typically owner-led, you know, the principals um, making a lot of the decisions, um, deep expertise and specialization, you know, um, focusing in on, a, on a, a market segment or a few segments. Um, and, uh, and just generally more agile and sort of more, more of a personal touch, uh, focusing on, on the investors, on the clients, and on generating alpha, less focus or less distraction um, to bureaucracy and sort of uh, you know, big business politics. So if, if, you, if you accept that as a sort of general definition of boutiques, then we can get into what makes them, you know, in our view, a lot more likely to to be successful and, and generate good investment performance over the long term. I don't know that I would think that COVID changed much of anything at all. If anything, I think it reasserted what has always made boutiques great. It's that service commitment that's true to label, no matter what the market conditions are. And 
arguably markets helped by proving or reminding us that not everything will be a growth stock bull market and that in those times you want someone who's actively at the control panel looking at those stocks those bonds those options every day pulling on levers that they're experienced at as opposed to just sitting back and hoping that a lower cost more passive product will work because ultimately in the long run that may be the case but our investors all of us you know even the most seasoned of us um, as a day-to-day -day professional money managers still watch our portfolios daily navs get printed daily and emotions come in minute by minute tick by tick um, not year by year and you need to be able to be responsive to that but not cower and try something completely different and risk being whipsawed or missing out on what you're doing and covid i think gave us the opportunity to show that active management in particular and, and good active management at that can and will shine um, it, when given the right circumstances and indeed in the long run when viewed um, you know when viewed in the lens of looking for the better managers who are actually doing and fulfilling that commitment got it so from the vantage point of your business what do you think are the crucial ideas and thoughts you'd like our audience to take away from this interview well, I'll start by saying you know, we're big believers in active management done right. So in the active passive debate, um, sure, you, if you're looking for, you know, beta market exposure, get it cheaply through passive vehicles. Um, but if you can find the right managers um, who can deliver real alpha, then active management um, you know, is, is well worth the, the cost. And, and boutique managers are, in general, in, in a better position to generate that type of alpha. Um, we, as a platform, are um, we're speaking to, uh, you know, as I said, hundreds of these folks uh, on a regular basis, and, and it, it distills down to a very, very small percentage um, of the conversations that we have ever le leading to, uh, you know, potential business alliance. And then ultimately, when when a manager launches on our platform. Um, you know, they, we know that they are as likely, or quite likely, to be successful in this environment. Uh, and you know, our invest, any investor al asset allocator or advisor um, who's speaking to us or, or, or one of our representatives out in the field, they can know that look, not every strategy is right for every investor. But if if the uh, if the managers on the FM acceleration platform, they've been vetted, they're backed by. You know, rock solid compliance and operations, and uh, you know the the sort of headline or operational risk has been mitigated as much as possible. And now you're going to be talking to an interesting set of boutique managers with a story to tell, and and hopefully there's a fit with uh, the needs of the portfolio. Okay, great. Well, sadly, uh, we'll have to leave it there. Dave and Alex, it's been a great pleasure talking with you and getting more more information about FM acceleration, what it takes to go independent and the advantage that boutique firms may hold in the current market. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank, thank you, Bob. You've been listening to the Take 15 podcast from CFA Institute. If you haven't yet subscribed, you can do so on our YouTube channel or wherever you listen to the show. That way, you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate a rating and review. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. And a quick reminder... This podcast isn't intended to provide expert advice on the topics we covered. If you need tax, accounting, or legal advice, please consult a professional. I'm Lauren Foster. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.